Joan Jett and the Blackhearts on Radio 3. We're nicely into Friday afternoon. It's pretty much time to say hi to James Marsh, who's going to do his thing. Marshy movie time. How are you? I'm not too bad, Hello. thank you. Wiki, wiki. Good to be back with you, James. What's going on? Oh, have we got a bit of a delay, have we? Um, there's a lot going on. Um, there's the big... New uh, DC Comics adaptation of The Suicide Squad. We also have the um, Japanese uh, Berlin Silver Bear winner, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Yep. And then got a couple of European genre films that are on Netflix right now. We've got The Last Mercenary, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm. And we've got uh, German thriller Blood Red Sky. Right. <clears throat> Super duper. I bet you want to start with The Suicide Squad. You don't. Actually, I don't want to start no, with I that. I want to gonna... warm up to that. I knew you were going to say that. So you... oh, I know. <laughs> Whatever you said. Yeah. Whatever you said, I was like, no, I'll do something else. Go on then. Um, so no, let's, let's hold back on that one, because I think that's the one that everybody is going to be interested in. Mm. Certainly the big uh, film of the week. It's, you know lining up to be one of the big films of the summer. Uh, but we will get to that. Let's start instead with the Japanese film. Go on then. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Okay, so this is from uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi, uh, who I've been a bit cold on, it has to be said, in the past. His last film, Asako, yeah, called Asako 1 and 2. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you're a big fan Massive. of Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Right. Um, <clears throat> his previous film, which was uh, quite critically acclaimed, called Asako 1 and 2, I didn't care for okay. quite... Uh, I had quite a sort of adverse, violently adverse reaction to it. I really just did not care for it. I thought it was ridiculous and stupid and overwrought <laughs> and all that, the rest of it. Yeah. Apart from that, it was great. Um, so he's got two films out this year. So this one, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which premiered in Berlin back in February, right. where it picked up the Silver Bear for Best Director. Uh, and since then, he's got another film out called Drive My Car, which premiered at Cannes in competition and everybody thought that was going to win the Palme d'Or you know a lot of people were saying that was one of the, the strong ones it didn't do that I think it won best screenplay in the end okay. uh, but so he is certainly you know a, a Japanese filmmaker of of note of international recognition and of acclaim who uh, you know the, the, he's a bit of a darling among certain circles already so uh, this film is now playing in uh in Hong Kong, and essentially it's an anthology where there are three main stories, and each story looks at <clears throat> sort of romance, uh, passion, lust, and ha and also, but also about the versions of ourselves that we project onto the world, onto each other, onto and that we you know that we use to represent ourselves out in the in the real world. So. Uh, it's got a kind of sort of theatrical quality to it in as much as it's divided up, as I said, three stories, but each of those stories is divided up into a series of extended conversations between two characters. Different characters within each stories. But the, so the first story, for example, is a, a young model and a colleague of hers are taking a long taxi journey back from a job where uh, the, the colleague... So he's very excited and talks to her about this new guy that she's just met and they've been on one date and sparks flew and it was magical and it was something that she's never experienced before and she's a little bit older and so it was all very exciting and you know, she thought she might have been past all of these things. And you can tell over the course of this conversation that the young model is, is kind of 
sort of responding in in sort of enthusiastic friendly way but might be kind of faking it and that scene uh follow you know we follow that scene with her rushing to an office to confront a man who it turns out might have something to do with what's going on uh the second story is about uh, a mature student, female student, who hatches a plan. She's kind of coerced into a plan by her younger boyfriend to kind of honey trap her literary professor by going over to his office and trying to co- coerce him, trying to seduce him into taking advantage of her, and they're going to record it on tape and try and use that yeah, to yeah. manipulate him. Uh, but that doesn't go according to plan either. And then in the third story, you have an, an older woman who goes to her high school reunion many, many years later. She bumps into a woman in the street who she uh, believes to be uh, a former classmate of hers. And certainly, you know, the woman responds in in a way to encourage that. But then as their conversation unfolds and they go back to the woman's house, it, again, appears that not everything is quite as it <laughs> seems. So it's a very sort of strange, interesting film that's not really very sort of narratively driven, but it's more just about sort of human interactions and how um, basically it's it's about sort of romance and attraction, what attracts us to other people and how, in fact, what attracts us to other people is what we get out of it quite a lot of the time rather than what we see in the other people, mm. in the other person. It's about what that other person... Uh, triggers in ourselves and how it makes us feel about ourselves more than how we genuinely feel about that person to the point where the person that we feel that attracted to that we think that we love or that we feel that we have this long history with in many of these cases might not actually be that person and yet it's that person is triggering the same feelings in us as as that person and so at the end of the day does it really matter if it's actually that person <laughs> or not so it's quite it's got some quite sort of big fairly abstract ideas and to its credit i think it it sort of executes them quite proficiently without coming to any sort of neat and tidy slightly heavy-handed solutions it leaves everything nice and open nice and ambiguous it's not trying to lecture us on how we should behave with other people uh but it's merely it's more of an examination of how we interact with each other and how we project versions of ourselves but how it's actually quite a selfish pursuit romance is quite a selfish selfish pursuit as is friendship as is any kind of human interaction we're really only doing it for our benefit and it's and it, uh, it examines how uh, that undermines our sort of our sense of identity. So it's it's kind of interesting. The performances are good. Uh, it, like I said, it is. It does feel more like a play than a film, in as much as it's a lot of two-handers. You know, a lot of long scenes, like ten, fifteen-minute scenes between two characters, and then it moves on to the next one, moves on to the next one. Uh, yeah, it makes you think. It raises a lot of questions, and uh, yeah, triggers a lot of a lot of emotional response. Should we say? Nice bit of lily gilding there, boy. What does that mean? You know, it's... what do you mean when you say that? Well, I know when you're not massively hot on a film, but you also are quite interested in its concept. This. Yeah, I think I think that's a fairer. Takeaway from what I've been saying is <laughs> yeah. that I think I responded to it quite strongly, yeah, uh, and not necessarily in a negative way. 
but yes, I would I would not say that I absolutely loved it or anything like that. But hey, you know, anything that triggers a strong response, whether it's a positive one or a negative Good one, point. or just one that makes you question the way that you might interact with people or anything like that mm. is is certainly a good thing you know that's what a lot of movies are supposed to do and what a lot of movies don't do Indeed. and why you come away just kind of going Meh, to a lot of things <laughs> yeah no. so right, I, I appreciate it i appreciate it for the fact that it made it, it it generated it garnered a response for me in me rather than just merely going what was all that about yeah that's a term. That should, Although, that should be a arguably, term. arguably, my biggest takeaway is what was all that about? <laughs> no, well, anyway, who's going to love it? Who's who? who Can you think of a friend mentally, uh, mentally think of a friend who uh, is going to really dig this? Well, your wife probably. No, nah, she wouldn't like it. No, nah, it's not she, her cup of tea. She wants the at Suicide Squad, um, doesn't she? I think you know people. People, the art. It's definitely sort of an art house crowd movie yeah, rather yeah. than. A mainstream genre type of movie like i said it doesn't really fit neatly into any particular genre mm. uh you know the romantics out there might find something in there but it does sort of it, it does arguably kind of undermine everything that we think we know about romance and relationships and uh, personal connections yeah by sort of questioning the uh, the veracity and the the authenticity of those interactions okay um so yeah yeah so if people who are looking for a, a shall we say, an intellectual challenge uh, will be the ones who get most out of this. But that is, I don't, I don't like to say that this is for those people and this is for those people because I think, as, as I am, I have to go watch everything. Uh, and so finding some nugget of uh, worth in everything is, is kind of what I'm here for and I think that everybody else has that capacity too. So Thank you. Next, we've got five minutes before the news, so... Okay, go for it. So that's called that's called the Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, and that is out on probably quite a limited release. But right now, uh, let's flip over to Netflix right now. Yay. For uh, and then Netflix uh, came out at the beginning of the year and said, I think they're going to release over the course of 2021. I think it's about 70, 75 new movies. Mm. So they're aiming to release at least one new film every week. On its uh, on its service, which is quite impressive for for a quote unquote studio to be able to uh, to be able to do. I mean, all the big ones normally aim for about one a month, but this is going, they're going for one a week here. Uh, and so, two of the films that we're talking about today, The Last Mercenary, came out last Friday, and Blood Red Sky actually came out I believe, the Friday before that. Okay. The annoying thing is that um, Netflix new movies come out on a Friday afternoon, so and only occasionally can I get a screener ahead of time, and so you tend to have to review them for for you a, a week after the fact but i know i know i feel so out of date already you know <laughs> such a has been but uh we've got the okay so the last mercenary is one such project and it is notable for the fact that it is uh starring jean-claude van damme yeah the muscles from brussels and it is a french language movie you know this is a french action comedy directed by uh david Chahon. Uh, and essentially, Van Damme plays a, a guy who's a, like a legendary Fight, mercenary. Chance. Uh, no, no, no. He's a legendary mercenary uh, who's nicknamed The Mist. Okay. And no one really knows cause who he is, knows his true identity. No, there aren't any sort of recent photos of him, even any since he was like a child. But he is drawn out of hiding when 
his son, his estranged 25-year-old son, who he has never met, you know, who his son has never met since he was a baby, uh, and who has been living under sort of immunity, negotiated immunity for his his 25 years, uh, is becomes the the target of mistaken identity and becomes the target of sort of a, an international manhunt and so he is put in the into the crosshairs of this sort of full government uh operation to take him out because they've mistaken him for this sort of uh <clears throat> he's the son of the king of a, a made up turkmenistan style gotcha. country out there who's um into arms dealing or something uh it's, it's quite convoluted about exactly what's going on suffice to say that there's mistaken identity his his estranged son is now on the run uh he's this complete sort of um sort of stoner layabout lives in the banlieue of paris uh like i said he's about 25 years old he's he's a bit of a loser a bit of a waster doesn't know his dad at all but has been living under sort of protection this whole time blissfully unaware of the fact that he's been protected mm. and that he's being watched over and does not know that Van Damme is his dad and when Van Damme shows up on the scene to look after him he pretends that he's a family friend rather than admitting to the fact that he's been this absent father for the whole time and they go on the run and there are lots of sort of government agencies and rival mercenaries and what have you trying to track him down trying to kill him meanwhile you've got the the real guy who has the same name as Van Damme's son who is this hilarious kind of over the top sort of ultimate sort of spoilt brat kind of trustafarian son of a diplomat kind yeah. of guy who models his entire lifestyle on Tony Montana Al Pacino in Scarface mm-hmm. so the, he dresses exactly like him he's listening to these the sort of 80s funk music all the time he he has doled up his home to be like a sort of a shrine to 80s Americana quite over the top quite ridiculous so the problem with the film unfortunately it's an action comedy there's way too much comedy not nearly enough action (laughs) the comedy isn't most of the time that good i mean french comedy i I can sort of gel with some of the time but it's very talky uh which which isn't always great when you're kind of herring through these subtitles as quickly as you can and a lot of it is kind of uh wordplay style humor Hmm. so that's uh that's tricky uh and uh hold that thought because I know a young man who wants to tell us what's going on in the world. Join us on Facebook Live if you'd like to check out what James has to talk about and indeed tell us what you think as well. We'll be back in just a second. Radio 3. You may continue. So, so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so, <laughs> what I will say, okay, so we're talking, just, just to wrap up The Last Mercenary, which is um, French language action comedy starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, I mean, Van Damme is now 60. He's very nearly 61, actually. And so he's still in, he's still in great shape. Uh, he's definitely game for this kind of thing. You know, he wasn't known for his comedy chops early on in his, earlier on in his career. But, you know, one of the big elements of his character is that he is this kind of elusive master of disguise. And yeah. so... This film gives him the opportunity to dress up in all manner of like wigs and fake mustaches and different costumes and all the rest of it as he kind of works his way through the film. And he so he has to play up to the, the comedy side of it. And he's actually quite 
sort of funny at times doing that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, there's of the more physical comedy. Um, the problem with the film is it doesn't really give him enough of an opportunity to show off his prowess. I mean, the opening scene begins with him doing his trademark kind of splits. He's hiding from some goons uh, up in the up on the ceiling between two rafters, and he's holding himself there in the splits. But you get the impression that you know he can't really maybe do qu- quite the same things that he could do back in the day uh you know the the camera is very obviously cutting away from him during action sequences when you know 10 20 years ago it would have been holding on him watching him sort of do these sort of spin kicks and uh aerial splits and all the rest of it uh and you you've got to concede the fact that that's probably why most people are, wa- are watching this film in the first place is to see a bit of van damage and <laughs> very good. If you're not if you're not getting that then, uh, you know, the film is arguably sort of failing to deliver on its promise. Mm. Uh, A much better French-language Van Damme movie is the movie JCVD, which was this real sort of meta-existential deconstruction of Van Damme and his persona, his public persona, his his action star credentials, uh, which was essentially him playing a a vaguely fictionalised version of himself who gets caught up in a bank heist. Yeah. Uh, now that's a mu- that's a much better movie uh, than this one, but inevitably there are echoes of that movie in this one. I mean, it's it's not terrible, but it is very much a uh, a sort of a broad French comedy hmm. with a, with a, with Van Damme in it, as opposed to an action movie for his diehard fans. Okay, then you mentioned something last week, a similar kind of deal where. Um, they were trying to go for the comedy side of this aging sort of action star, and um, so it's not it's not new, is it, to do that? Sometimes it works. Well, no, I mean, and that's the problem with you know that a lot of these action stars face is because they've built their career on on physical ability, you know, over the top of you know perhaps their sort of theatrical uh, dramatic chops. You know, once they reach a certain age, a lot of them are going to have to either retire or pivot into, yeah, comedy or straight drama or what have you. You know, some of them can do it and some of them can't do it. Um, So, you know, it's uh, applaudable when they make the effort. But uh, at the end of the day, this film, you know, isn't really giving the people what they want. Super duper, once again, it's called... It's called The Last Mercenary, and that is on Netflix right now. So, moving on to the main attraction, which is The Suicide Squad... Okay, now the first question to ask people is, is this a sequel to Suicide Squad, the 2016 film that starred Margot Robbie yeah. and introduced, introduced us to Harley Quinn, you know, the character played by Margot Robbie, and she's the girlfriend of the Joker uh, and all the rest of it. Yep. Um, kind of, but it, it doesn't really pay any attention or feel obliged to continue any of the lingering plot threads that that film might have left right so you do have a couple of holdover characters you've got Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn you've got Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg you've got Jai Courtney as Boomerang Captain Boomerang and you've got um, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller but beyond those few uh, holdover characters this really is very much its own thing so just to set up uh, what the Suicide Squad is this is DC Comics so this is the world of Batman Mm. and Superman and Aquaman and the Justice League and all of that kind of thing. Now, the idea of Suicide Squad is, a spe- is essentially like the Dirty Dozen, if you remember that classic World War II movie, um, where there are certain missions that 
the government needs uh, to execute, but they're probably going to be suicide missions, one-way tickets. And so I thought it was the A-team that did that. Come on, get it sorted. No, it wasn't the A-team that did that. The A-team were soldiers of fortune. They do clandestine messages. <laughs> Yeah, but they never used guns, did they? Weren't they a bit like MacGyver? Or no one ever died. They used guns, but no one ever got shot and no one ever died and people would, you know, stagger out of exploding helicopters and all the rest of it. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> the Suicide Squad is essentially Dirty Dozen. Right. You've got this, uh, this unit called Task Force X and they will recruit incarcerated supervillains and they will offer them, like, okay, if you go out on this mission, if you survive it, you probably won't. But if you survive it, you will get a reduced sen- sentence or you will be released or what have you. Yeah. And what it really is, is it's an opportunity for uh, the writers to delve deep into the DC back catalogue of villains and really have fun and really play with some of these, like, smaller, more eccentric, ridiculous, cartoonish, sort of circus-like characters you know everyone always says the big difference between dc and marvel is that dc always had the better villains or the the more imaginative villains you know and the suicide squad was kind of set up as a comic book series that could really give all of these quite frankly ridiculous characters their moment in the sun Mm. now the criticisms leveled at the first film which was directed by david Ayer, was that it took itself far too seriously it really did uh, lean into that idea of being sort of the dirty dozen and this ragtag group of uh, loose cannons. Which is, just for a sidebar, a brilliant film, isn't it? Worth a, worth a look. No, it's a deeply flawed film. <laughs> uh, it, it made a lot I of win. money, uh, <laughs> but people too had a lot of problems with it, you know, and understandably so, because the tone is all over the place. You had Jared Leto as this ridiculous joker. Anyway, we're not here to review... <laughs> That earlier Suicide Squad. We're here to talk about the new one. Uh, so this is now directed by James Gunn. Yep. Now, James Gunn was working, you know, he came up through, like, sort of trauma films, a real sort of gonzo and sort of anarchic bit of a punk rock filmmaker who landed the gig of directing Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, he took arguably a very sort of unknown, obscure Marvel property and exploded it into... You know, one of their most successful franchises within the Marvel Universe. Uh, however, due to uh, Disney getting all upset with some tweets that were that were dug up out of the Twitter sphere that he had written like sort of 10, 12 years ago, making, yeah, yeah. I don't know, gay jokes or something. I can't remember what it was. He got fired after doing Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So DC immediately snapped him up. And said, what, what, what do you want to do? You can do whatever you want. And he said, I want to take a swing at a Suicide Squad movie. Brilliant. And so he did. It, what sh- as a little sidebar, what should be noted is that Disney have since backpedaled, rehired him, and he is now going to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. However, you know, this film now exists. And, it's, and so it brings a lot more of that kind of, uh, like I said, anarchic, sort of eccentric, dare I say, comic book sense of humour to the property that was arguably always there in the comics, but that the first film kind of missed completely. So you have a mission where you've got this new ragtag team of of, of supervillains, including uh, Idris Elba's Bloodsport, uh, John Cena's The Peacemaker, again led by uh, Rick Flagg, played by Joel Kinnaman, who go off to this island, Corte Maltese, it's kind of a uh, Dominican Republic-style um, 
sort of sort of Caribbean island nation yep. uh, where there is there is some kind of uh, it's, it's, it's described as an extraterrestrial scientific experimental project left behind by the Nazis is yeah. going on, and their mission is to go in and destroy it. And so they do, and uh, as and what you get is a a very funny, a very very violent, different take on the sort of standard sort of men on a mission kind of superhero movie. Um, like I said, Margot Robbie returns. You also get a whole lot of new characters. You know, be you know, there's too many characters to list. But the, what the film does quite brilliantly is it manages to give every single one of these characters. Some of them are really stupid. You know, there's a guy called Polka Dot Man, who his mission is his his power is that he can shoot polka dots at people. Mm. There is a girl called Ratcatcher Two. Not Ratcatcher, but Ratcatcher 2, who has the ability to control rats with her mind. There is a guy called TDK. I won't tell you what TDK stands for, nor will I tell you what his superpower is, but it's absurd to the point... And then, most importantly, you have a character called Niawe, a.k.a. King Shark, who is a shark man. Really? Okay. He, is a, he is a shark. He is a shark with arms and legs, who speaks with the voice of Sylvester Stallone. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what more you need to... And he is arguably the best character in the movie. Okay. Uh, and the, and um, any film that gives a shark man an entire sort of narrative arc, you know, we learn about his struggles, we come to care about his, you know, his feelings, is, uh, is a win in my book. This sounds you know, great, by the way, so far. It really is. You know, it's kind of... I don't use expressions like this very often, but it's the nearest thing to like a sort of slam dunk that we've seen for one of these sort of superhero movies. It's everything that you want from you know your classic superhero movie, but it's also, like I said, it brings the violence that a lot of the Marvel movies and a lot of the DC movies too shy away from. You know, yeah. you see too often in D- in DC particularly, and this is DC, but in DC particularly, they they go dark and moody and grim when. You know, when that's not always the most exciting thing to watch. This is shockingly violent. I keep <laughs> saying it, but it really is. It's shockingly violent, but it's all played for laughs. It has a really strong sense of kind of gallows humour. The plot is as ridiculous as characters like this deserve. Uh, and it's a whole lot of fun. I mean, this, is a, this has got a Category 3 rating here, which means absolutely under-18s are not allowed, so you can't take your kids, however much they might think they like Batman, you can't take them to this movie because it's, it, you know, it's a Category 3, and it earns its Category 3 re- rating within like the first minute of the movie. And it just keeps going. It's continually surprising, uh, continually sort of undermines your expectations of right. what a superhero movie is going to be, and you, and then delivers unexpected treats again and again and again. It really, <laughs> it really is a whole lot of fun. Right. Um, when did this one come out? If, here, for us, I mean. Yesterday. Right. If anybody listening or watching James, if you have had a chance to see this, he's, you've heard the man. Very, very rarely do we hear this tone of voice. Do let us know what you think. We've got a few more minutes on Facebook Live. Morning Brew is our page. Well done. What's next? OK, so very quickly, let's talk about Blood Red Sky, which is another European uh, genre movie on Netflix right now. This is... Um, it, it would have been kind of nice if they had left it as a surprise, but they haven't left it as a surprise, so I can go out and just tell you straight away. It's essentially a vampire on a plane. Fair enough. So it's kind of die hard on a plane, 
yeah, so imagine it's Die Hard on a plane, but instead of Bruce Willis, you've got a single mother who is also a vampire. Right. So, so it, be, it begins and a uh, passenger plane is, uh, has a forced landing on a military base in Scotland. The only survivor seems to be this young German boy who is brought in and quickly uh, uh, you know, sort of interrogated. Flashback to uh, a, bit, a passenger flight from, I think it's I don't know, Munich to New York or whatever, that gets hijacked midair. And he's traveling with his mother. You see him checking in, and he's doing all the checking in while his mother is waiting in the hotel room. And you're like, why isn't she doing it? And he seems a very capable young lad, and he's managing everything on his own. Mm. Uh, and only when it, you know, darkness falls and their evening flight uh, is about to lift off does she emerge, you know, all hooded and shaded and what have you, and gets on board. Uh, no sooner is it up in the air than it gets hijacked by a bunch of very nasty-looking European terrorists. Not entirely sure what they actually want, but they are violently taking control of the aircraft. Uh, but very quickly, they try to sort of separate uh, the boy from her, the, from her, his mother, but also separate the mother from her, what looks like his insulin, but it's obviously not insulin. It's something very, very different that kind of keeps her, um, her pangs at bay, shall we say, and mm. when she loses that she very quickly loses control and all hell breaks loose Um, yeah it's a nice idea it's it's done competently it's done well it's a good solid sort of nasty action movie that uh is you know knows knows what its roots are uh the horror stuff works it's not scary it's just kind of gory um the the villains are quite sort of thinly drawn like i said it's not entirely uh clear about exactly what their what what they want what their aims are but it doesn't really matter the idea of <laughs> having this sort of this female protagonist who is also kind of the monster as well it's kind of an interesting spin so she's like the hero and the villain simultaneously okay uh and she kind of levels the playing field somewhat between the terrorists and the passengers and so that's kind of a really sort of smart idea the film is a bit too long you know and that's a criticism you can level every netflix movie ever you know when they give you final cut uh this this is a problem films will run a bit long this should have come in at sort of 89 minutes and it actually played for about two hours so you know it kind of just runs a little bit excessive a little bit slow or not slow just a bit relentless you know they could have made their point and moved on but are are they doing that because they can they know they haven't dragged you to a cinema and you want the taxi and the popcorn they can keep you and go for it uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. You know, there, there is no time restriction. There's no reason to make films shorter. Um, and it is the great sort of uh, appeal that they have in coaxing major talent to Netflix to play in their sandbox is that you can deliver the film that you want to make. Mm. You know, you pitch it, we green light it, and we'll give you a budget and we'll give you uh, a runtime and a deadline. Yeah. And that's and that's it. Uh the, the 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 sad truth of it is, is without that degree of sort of stu- dare I say studio interference you get films that just run a little bit long it was the same with the with the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie I mean that's a, another two hour movie that should have been a 90 minute movie you know it just it has its point and it just kind of keeps repeating itself a little bit mm. but this is this is rock solid I mean if you like a good sort of horror movie action movie thriller uh, you know it is it's kind of half it's partly in English mostly in German because it is a German movie but obviously because it's about an international flight you've got lots of characters from different parts of the world uh, but it's a, it's a nice idea done pretty well 
All right, then. So today we should, shouldn't, maybe, whatever, go and see what? Well, you should absolutely, everybody, 18 years and over, go and see The Suicide Squad. It's <laughs> okay. brilliant. It's huge, huge, huge fun. Uh, also on Netflix, check out Blood Red Sky. If you're a, if you're a Van Damme completist, you can have a look at The Last Mercenary, but it's not great. Uh, and then if, you, if you're a little bit highbrow, want something a little bit more challenging, uh, then Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is out in uh, selected cinemas now. Nice one. We'll leave it there. Take care. Back with you next week.